Who you view yourself to be determines how you behave, what you do or don't do in your life, and dramatically impacts your emotions. This message is the sixth in the series, Believable. The message is entitled, What Do You Believe About You? Part 2. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Your beliefs really are a big deal. What you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about other people, what you believe about the world around you really does matter. Because your beliefs really represent the software of your soul. Your beliefs will determine how you think, your thought processes, your beliefs will determine your behavior. If you want to know what someone believes, you watch how they live their life and their lifestyle will show you what they really believe. They might say they believe one thing with their mouth, but their lives always indicate what they really do believe. And we talk about our beliefs, as I said, there are a number of different areas where we do have belief systems. We have beliefs about God. They may be accurate or inaccurate. And our beliefs about God matter because they will determine our relationship with God. If you have false beliefs about God, it will affect how you relate to God. If you have right beliefs about God, it will enhance your relationship with Him. Your beliefs about you matter. Your beliefs about other people will determine the relationships of your life. And the belief about the world around you, your worldview matters a lot because it helps you or hinders you in navigating the world around you. And we're talking this weekend, as we did last weekend, about your beliefs about you. What do you believe about you? If someone were to ask you, who are you? What do you really believe about you? How would you answer that question? What are your core beliefs about who you really are? And many times we struggle with this, and there are a lot of folks who go through life with what I would call an identity crisis. Many people have gone through and continue to go through life as though they have no sense of real identity at all. But today what we want to do is we want to see more important than what we think about ourselves is what does God think about us. Because God can better define you than you can define yourself. And so our true identity needs to be found in relationship with God and based upon God's opinion of you or what God says about you. Because when our identity is connected to God's view of us, then it changes the way we view ourselves. And so we're looking at some of those things. Last weekend I talked about seven of the things that the Bible says about you. I'm not going to review those things for you this weekend. If you missed last weekend, I would encourage you to take the time to go to our website at church-redeemer.org and you'll find that that's, uh, that uh, message from last weekend is available for you free of charge. Just download it. You can review what we talked about last weekend. But this weekend, I'm going to talk about seven additional things that you need to know about you. What does God say about you? Who are you based upon God's opinion of you? The first thing this weekend is you and I need to understand that as those who've been created in the image of God and those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, that each of us now have access to God's wisdom. That's who you are. You're a person who has access to the wisdom of Almighty God. Life at times brings all of us challenges, brings us problems and what I would call enigmas. There are times in life when you find yourself facing some kind of complicated circumstance that you can't figure out yourself, and it's simply beyond you. It's beyond your knowledge. It's beyond your insight. It's beyond your know-how. You just don't know how to handle the situation. Not too long ago, my uh, eight-year-old grandson, Levi, came to me and said, Papa, would you tie my shoes for me? Now, first of all, that was a very unusual request from Levi because Levi never ties his shoes. He always walks around with untied shoes. And so for him to ask me to tie his shoes, I knew something was up. And so I bent down there, knelt beside him to tie his shoes, and I realized the problem. The problem was Levi had gotten his shoe lace in a horrible knot. I mean, the kind of knot that rivaled Gordian knots, Gordian's knot. 
And so I looked at it. I'm trying to unravel this thing, and I'm pulling at one angle and pulling the other. And finally, I'm having to ask God for wisdom how to get out of this knot, okay? Because he had done a massive job, an interesting job, in getting this thing all tangled up. There was no way quite to figure it out. And after probably 10 or 15 minutes playing around with the knot, we finally got it untangled, tied his shoes. He went on to play. But I realized sometimes you get in life and things just get knotty. You don't know how to fix it. You can't come to a solution. You don't know what to do. But the good news is this. In Jesus Christ, this is who you are. You have privileged access to the wisdom of Almighty God. In the Old Testament, there's a story of a man by the name of Daniel who exemplifies this. Daniel lived in a place called Babylon, served under a Babylonian king, and then eventually served under a Persian king. And he was taken into Babylon from Jerusalem at a young age and enters into this service. But he was a young man who loved God and sought after God. And in Daniel chapter 5, there's an interesting story in that chapter because here's one of the Babylonian kings having this massive party and they've taken some of the goblets and some of the utensils from the temple in Israel, uh, in in Jerusalem, and they're using it in a pagan ritual. They're celebrating, they're drinking, everybody's partying, having a good time. It is a raucous occasion happening there. And then in the midst of it all, here comes a hand that starts writing on a wall. Think about that for a moment. If you're in the midst of a party and a hand shows up and starts writing stuff on a wall, that will get your attention. So everybody's riveted to the wall. What's the hand writing? And and after the hand has now written out the various words there, no one understands the words. What do they mean? What is this message? What is this all about? And so the king of Babylon begins to call in all of his different advisors asking for some kind of interpretation for this situation. What do these words mean? And no one could interpret it. And finally, someone said, well, there is someone here, king in the land that can interpret it. His name is Daniel. And the reason that Daniel can interpret it is because he has the insight of God in him. The Spirit of God lives in him. He has a relationship with the one true and living God. And Daniel comes in and Daniel interprets what's going on on the wall there. And of course, the king gets the message. And it's not a good message for the king. But nevertheless, there's this statement of wisdom that comes in to the situation that untangles an enigma, that solves a problem, that gives an answer to a riddle that no one else could understand. And I want you to know that in Jesus Christ, you have access to the God that can unravel the naughty things in your life. Listen to what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. You are God's children. That's who you are. He sent Jesus Christ to save us and, notice this, to make us, what does it say there? To make us wise. Jesus came into your life to make you wiser than you were, to make you wise, acceptable, and holy. I hope that in your walk with Jesus that you're wiser, a little bit wiser today than you were yesterday. And you're wiser this year than you were last year, and you're wiser today than you were five years ago because walking with Jesus, who is wisdom, will give you wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and we all do at times, here's this access. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Who are you? You're a person who has access to the wisdom of God. Number two, who are you? You're a person who now has access as well to God's mercy, God's grace, and God's help. Notice those three words, God's mercy, God's grace, and God's help. These are extremely important words for us to understand as followers of Jesus. Why do we need God's mercy and grace and help? Because all of us are sinners. Not only do we find ourselves facing 
knotty problems in life, sometimes we find ourselves facing messes, knotty messes that we have made in our lives because of our sinful nature, our sinful choices, because of our dysfunctions in life, because of the mess that we make. You don't need to raise your hand on this, but how many of you have ever made at least a little bit of mess with your own life? That you've messed up in some way and you're left with this thing around you that you know now I've hurt the heart of God and I've messed up in some way and I really deserve to be punished. I really deserve God's wrath. I deserve for God to punish me for what I thought or for what I said or for what I did. And so we live under the possibility in our minds of the judgment or the wrath or the anger of God. And this is where mercy comes in because the biblical definition for the word mercy is simply this, it is God withholding from you the judgment that you rightfully deserve. It's that God actually says, I could punish you for that. I could let my wrath be extended to you for what you did or said or thought, but I'm going to withhold that from you. And pulling back my anger or pulling back my wrath is an expression of my love or my mercy to you. The word grace is a little different. It's very similar to mercy because mercy withholds judgment. Grace gives good things in spite of what we've done. And so while mercy withholds judgment, grace says, I'm going to bless you instead. It's like a child who has done something wrong and that child needs to be disciplined or punished in some way. And instead of the parent disciplining the child, the parent withholds the discipline and instead actually brings blessing. I'm not going to discipline you, but I am going to take you out for ice cream. See, the ice cream is the grace, the withholding of the discipline is the mercy. And in all of our lives, we need the mercy and the grace and the help of God. And the good news is that in Jesus Christ, that God has now extended to you mercy. He's extended to you and continues to extend to you grace. And He's there to help you in every circumstance you find yourself in. Notice Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I love this passage. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has, who has ascended into heaven, it's talking of Jesus here, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, or one translation says sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let's stop there for a moment. The Bible says that we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, up in heaven that we can appeal to when we're going through trouble in our lives, whatever that trouble might be, even self-imposed trouble. And the Bible says that He understands us. He understands our weaknesses. He empathizes or He sympathizes with the, 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 the fallibilities of our life. He understands when we mess up. He gets it. Why? Because He was tempted in every way just like we are tempted every day. With one exception, He never sinned. So He successfully made His way through every temptation. So He is the one that we can appeal to for help. And so He is there for us. Notice verse 16. Let us then, that is because of who Jesus is, because of His sympathy and empathy toward us, let us then approach God's throne, not of judgment, but God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive what? mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. James 5 verse 13 says, is anyone among you in trouble? What should you do? Let them pray. Why would we be invited to pray when we're in trouble? Because prayer changes things. Prayer will help you get out of trouble. Amen. 
If you're in a troubled situation today, the first thing you need to do instead of running from your trouble is to run toward God who can help you in your trouble. Matthew 7, verse 7, we know it well. Read it together with me, if you will, aloud and loudly across our campuses. Let's read Jesus' words here. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. If you're in need of mercy, ask, and it will be be given to you. If you're in need of grace, seek it, and you will find it. If you're in need of help, knock on the door of heaven, and that door of help will be opened to you. The third thing that we must understand about who we are in Jesus Christ. This is your identity. This is how you're to build the focus of who you are, who who God says you are, is that you are blessed and you are favored by God. Thank you for that amen all the way right back there. That's awesome. Okay. You are blessed and you're favored by God. This is who you are. Let me ask you a question today. Very important question. How different would your life be if you woke up every morning with a complete belief in, full confidence in the fact that as you enter every day of your life, you're blessed by God and you're favored by God? That you lived every day of your life with an awareness, God has blessed me, I'm blessed by God, and I'm favored by God. I would submit to you this morning, if you lived every day of your life with a full awareness that you're blessed by God and favored by God, you would walk through your day differently. You would hold your head high. You would navigate your world in a lot different way, knowing I am blessed by God and I am favored by God. Let me talk about those two words for a moment. What does it mean to be blessed? The word blessed has a lot of different meanings. The actual Greek word for blessed is is a word called makarios. That's the word there. It's often translated blessed. It means to be happy, but happy not in the basis of happenings of life, but in the inner sense of your life. But the word blessed has a deeper connotation. It really means this. It means that you are the recipient of heaven's gifts and the recipient of heaven's resources. That you've received something from heaven. You're the recipient of blessing from heaven. You're the recipient of gifts from heaven. You're the recipient of resources from heaven. And I want you to know today, if you haven't thought about it recently, you are blessed. God has sent gifts to you from heaven and God has sent resources to you from heaven. You're blessed by God. Would you say with me this morning, I am blessed. Just say that with me. I am blessed. We're going to see some verses in a moment that declare that to us. But you're not only blessed, but you're also favored by God. The word favored means given advantages. It means provided opportunities and open doors because of who you know and who knows you. That's the idea. The concept of favor is that doors open to you Privileges are extended to you. Opportunities come your way because of who you know and who knows you. Some of you here today have jobs, not because you were super great necessarily at the job, but you knew someone that helped you get the job, right? That favor got you through the door. And what you must understand is that with God, there is a favor that rests upon your life because you're in Jesus Christ. You live in Christ. You are in Christ. As we talked about last week, to be in Christ is to be in blessing. To be in Christ is to be in favor with God. God is favorable toward you. 
In John chapter 1, verse 16, we find these words speaking of Jesus. Out of His fullness, Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace. Let me stop there for a moment. That word in the Greek language is the word charisma. It's where we get our word charismatic or the word charisma from that we use even in our English language. Someone has charisma. They're gifted. Someone is charismatic, we might say. But this is the word. We all have received grace or charisma. And that word can also be translated favor. We have all received favor in place of grace or favor already given. So that verse is telling us that in Christ we have this opportunity to experience favor upon favor. It's not that God says, I'm just going to give you a little bit of my favor. Let me tell you something for the rest of your life, as long as you're here on planet earth until you go from this life to the next life, you can anticipate being blessed by God and being favored by God. You're blessed upon blessing and you're favored upon favor. Ephesians 1 verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, notice past tense, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, and God is able to bless you, how? Abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Matthew 6, 31 through 33, the words of Jesus, so don't worry about these things, saying what shall we eat or will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need that is blessed and favored. Philippians 4 verse 19, read it with me. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. That verse says that God, out of the riches of His glory, out of heaven, can bring down into your world every blessing that you need, every favor that you need in your life. Genesis chapter 12, verse number 2. I'm going to read it for you in just a moment, but give you a little bit of background on this verse. This is where God is speaking to Abraham and telling Abraham what he was going to do for him in his future. He's calling him into the land of Canaan, the land of blessing. And so here is Abraham receiving the promise from God. But Galatians tells us that we as followers of Jesus Christ are a part of Abraham's family as well, the family of faith. And you're a part of the seed of Abraham. So the same promises that came to Abraham come to you as well. And here's a promise. God says, I will make you into a great nation nation is I will give you a meaningful legacy and I will what's the promise there I will do what I will bless you I will make your name great and notice this you will be a blessing the reason that God blesses you the reason that God favors you is not just about you but so that you can now take whatever blessing that God brings to you and express it through you to the people around you you're blessed to be a blessing You're not blessed to just sort of heap up blessing in your life, but when God blesses you, it's so that it can flow from you to those around you. You can be an instrument of blessing to the world that God sends you to, to that world that He's placed you in. I'm a big believer in this, that if God can get something through you, God will get it to you. If God can get a blessing through you, God will get that blessing to you. Number four, the fourth thing, this is who you are. Anybody glad to know who you are this morning? Okay. Number four, you have a secure future. That's who you are. You're a person with a secure future. How much time do you spend thinking about and worrying about your future? 
How many, don't raise your hand on this, how many professional worriers do we have in the room? Always finding something to worry about. Some of you are worried about the fact that you're not raising your hand right now. Okay, well, I say, say, like something bad is going to happen, I didn't raise my hand. Okay, so. People are just worry, worry, worry. Think about this for a moment. This is true for all of us. I've thought about this in my own life. How much time have you wasted worrying? How many hours and days and perhaps years, for some of you who are really good at it, you might have wasted a few decades just worrying, worrying your life away. Because worry is all about your future, right? Worry is what's going to happen tomorrow. What if this happens? What if that happens? What, what will my future be? And part of what you and I need to recognize is that if we're going to experience the life that Jesus has for us and the identity that Jesus wants us to experience, part of our identity is security, right? What, is, what, what will ruin a person's identity? Insecurity, correct? Okay, insecurity ruins a person's identity, correct? Are you with me there? Okay. Someone who's really insecure, it affects their identity. They don't function well in relationships. Insecure people don't do well in most areas of life, right? And so the more secure you are, the more functional you are. In fact, one of the ways you come out of dysfunction is by developing more security, right? And so the more secure we are, the more functional we become in life and for the work of God's kingdom. And so God wants you to be secure. God wants you to know that you have a secure future because security drives away your fear. Notice John chapter 3, verse 16, a very familiar verse. But let's see what it says about your future. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. That's your future. John 6, 37. And, the, and those the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That's your future. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, the words of Jesus. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. That's your future. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Let me stop for a moment about this verse. Some folks will say, well, this verse oh, it really doesn't apply to us because it was a promise that was given to the children of Israel when they were in Babylon to come back to Babylon and maybe it doesn't apply to us. Well, you can say it doesn't apply to you if you want to, but I'm going to claim it because every promise in the book is mine and every promise in Jesus Christ is yes and amen. So I believe Jeremiah 29 verse 11, read it together with me, for I know, read together, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God says there's hope in front of you. What is God saying? God is saying your best is yet to come. God's saying the rest of your life is the best of your life. Okay. I have a hope and a future for you. Romans 8, 28, and, and we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him. Here's your future. He will make your path straight. Philippians 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's your future. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, for God did not appoint us 
to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's your future. First John chapter 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Dear one, I want you to get this deep in your heart today. Your future is secure. Your future has been secured by Jesus. That identity needs to rest in you. Let me say one more thing in digression just for a moment. You don't need to be consulting anything else about your future. If you wake up every morning, you've got to read your horoscope, you need to stop it right now, okay? Because your horoscope is coming from darkness, horoscope, it has nothing to do about where your future ought to be. If you want to know what your future is, pick up the Bible and go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Find out what Jesus says about your future. Stop consulting the things of the world and the ways of darkness and realize God has your future under control. Your future is secure. That's who you are, okay? Number five. Who are you? You're loved. That's who you are. You are loved. I want you to say with me this morning, I am loved. Here's the problem with that statement. We can say it right up here, but it's very different getting right down here. I'm loved. You can say it intellectually. What needs to happen is it has to happen emotionally, spiritually for you deep in your heart. And it's not easy to feel loved. I have a variety of theories in terms of why people don't feel love, why I don't feel love at times. All of us as human beings struggle with that. I think part of the reason is because we know ourselves so well. We know all the bad things about ourselves, don't we? Okay. We know how weak we are. We know the bad parts of our lives. We know what we know about ourselves. We also know that God knows that about us. And so we think, wow, how could God ever love me when he knows the worst stuff about me, right? Are you with me here today? God knows the worst stuff about you, and so you have to say, well, how, how could God ever love the worst stuff about me? But the Bible teaches us clearly that God's love for us is not based upon our performance. God's love for us is based upon the fact that we're valued by God, that He created us, that we belong to Him, that we are His creation. So He loves us notwithstanding the things that we do in life. He, his love is constant. You can never make God love you more You can never make God love you less. His love for you is constant. There are many parables in the Bible that emphasize this love that God has. One of those parables is the parable of a man that had a hundred sheep and one of them went away. And the Bible says that he left the 99 in the care of the the pasture and he left that one, left that, left that, that, that fold to go and find the one that was lost. See, God cares about every one of you, every one of you. You're loved by God. There's a statement that I came across by one author that I think emphasizes this so well. Let me read it for you. When you feel like a tiny blob in the seething mass of humanity, and all of us feel like a little tiny blob sometimes in the seething mass of humanity, see the shepherd of a hundred sheep frantically searching for one. If he can be personally concerned for one, the omnipotent shepherd of our souls can love all humanity And still be devoted to you. In the beautiful words of Isaiah chapter 62 verse 5. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. So shall your God rejoice over you. God rejoices over you. That's how much he loves you. Listen to Paul's description of this in several passages. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. He lists seven circumstances. As it is written, 
For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He said all these things come against us. These seven circumstantial obstacles we face. Can that separate us from the love of God? No, he says in verse 37. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he makes a statement, for I am convinced. Stop with me for a moment for that one statement. For I am convinced. In the original language, it is a very strong statement. He's saying, nobody can change my mind about this. I've come to a conclusion based upon truth, and you can't change me. No matter what you try to do, I'm convinced of this reality. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are loved by God, and nothing can separate you from that love. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, a prayer that is prayed for us, and may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, how high, all these dimensions, His love really is, and to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great that you will never see the end of it, or fully know or understand it, and so at last you will be filled up with God Himself. 1 John 4 verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Those who fear, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Dear one, again, let me remind you, who are you? You are loved by God. Number six, you are also gifted by God. That's who you are. You're gifted by God. Every child of God is a gifted child. God deposited a gift inside of you when He created you. Your gift is a gift. It's not something you earned. It's a gift that He gave you. It's something that enables you to bless and serve other people. In the education system of our society, in most school districts, there's something called a gifted and talented program where the brightest and the best are oftentimes uh, put in a program like that. So oftentimes just to help them to accelerate their learning, to keep from perhaps even being bored at times in school, and so it provides them an opportunity for that otherwise they would not have, gifted and talented. I want you to know something. Listen closely. Every one of God's children, every one of you, you're in the gifted and talented program. Are you with me here? You may have not made it in the, in the normal school system, okay, in the, ac- the ac- academic school system here in this, this, on this planet, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, you are in God's gifted and talented program. Amen? Okay, every one of you are. He put a gift inside of you. Now, your gift comes in raw form. It has to be developed. It has to be polished. You need people in your life to help you develop your gift. It's not going to all develop by itself. It's it's a growing process to learn how to utilize that gift. But you are gifted by Almighty God. And you should never, listen to me, you should never, ever compare your gift with somebody else's. Because you're not somebody else. Oh, I didn't get the gifts that somebody else said. No, you're gifted by God. Whatever Whatever God put in you, He meant for you to have in your life. Amen? You're gifted by God. And that gift is designed in you that when it's developed, that it brings you into the capacity to be used by God to be a blessing to serve other people effectively. And then God rewards you when you faithfully use the gifts He's given to you. 1 Peter 4 verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Notice how do you get a gift? It's received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Romans 12, verse 6, first part of that verse. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, according to the favor of grace given to each of, each of us. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. James 1, verse 7, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Who are you? You are gifted by God. And one last thing as we wrap up here this morning, who are you? You're a person with a purpose. You have a purpose in your life. Purpose means this. It means there's a reason for your existence. There's a reason for your being. You are not an accident. I want to drill into that just for a moment. A lot of people go through life feeling that sort of life is haphazard and accidental. I don't have any purpose to my life. I sort of just live. No reason for my life. Well, yes, there is. There's a reason for your life. Your life is not an accident. So you can't have an accident on purpose. It doesn't work. If you have... An accident, it wasn't on purpose. If it's on purpose, it's not an accident. So those are mutually exclusive. They're antithetical one to another. And so you are not accidental. Accidental is the opposite of purposeful. And God has a purpose for your life. And some folks might say, well, I, I, if God has a purpose for my life, I sure don't know what it is. I'd like to know what my purpose is. Today, I'm going to answer that question for you. I'm going to help you to find your way to your purpose with one simple little statement has two parts to it, but a simple statement that'll bring together an understanding of your purpose. How do you know why God put you on the planet? God put you on the planet primarily to know Him and to love Him. When you get to know God and you know Him better and you begin to love Him more, every, every dimension of your purpose will come into fruition. That's the simplest thing you can do. It's just to spend your life getting to know God, to spend your, your life falling in love with God because if you know Him and love Him, He will get you where you need to be in life and your purpose will be fulfilled. God says, just get in the car with me and let me drive. Learn everything you can about me, fall in love with me, and I'll drive you to your destiny. I'll drive you to your destination. There's a purpose for your life. And that purpose involves making a difference with who you are. Yes. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Listen to what it says. Jesus describes this purpose. You are the salt of the earth. Notice that your salt, that's your purpose, the salt of the earth. Well, what good is it if salt has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's worthless. So Jesus said, I want you to be salt. What does salt do? Salt preserves and salt flavors. And so God says, here's your purpose. As you get to know me and love me, I'm going to put you, I'm going to sprinkle you out into the world. And where I sprinkle you out into that office where you work, into that classroom where you're a student or a teacher, into that environment or neighborhood where you live. When I sprinkle you out as a person who is growing to love me and know me, then you're going to bring the flavor of Jesus to that world around you. And then he says uh, in verse number 14, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is, is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus says, you're salt and you're light. I'm going to sprinkle you out into the world as preservation and as flavor. I'm going to put you in places where there's darkness and you'll light up that world around you as you come to know me and as you fall in love with me. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says for we are God's masterpiece he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things notice this he planned or he purposed for us long ago you have a purpose last verse I'll conclude with this 
when God was calling the prophet Jeremiah to begin his ministry. Jeremiah was a very young man when he started his ministry. He's probably in his late teens or early 20s at the latest. And so he had, he had a lot of insecurities about him. And he's going to have to do a major job. He's got to speak to the people of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, at a time when they were walking away from God. And because of this, Jeremiah is going to be known as the weeping prophet because he has to deal with these terrible circumstances that are about to unfold before him. So he's feeling very insecure, and God comes to him and affirms his calling to him, and he says this to Jeremiah with words that apply to you today. The words that God spoke to Jeremiah apply to you today. Every one of you today. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Do you believe that about your life today? God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you. Before you were born, what did God do? He said, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, you're, you may not be appointed as a prophet to the nations, but you're appointed to do something with your life. There's something that God has appointed you to do with your life. And God said, I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew who you were. Even when you were being formed in your mother's womb and before you were born, I set you apart. And I've got a job. I've got a work for you. There's a purpose for your life. And so there's an appointment for you. And with your appointment, I want you to seek your anointment so that your anointing will go with your appointing so you can fulfill everything that I've purposed for you to fulfill. Who are you, dear saint, this morning? Remember last week I told you there are only two kinds of people in the world, the saints and the ain'ts. And you're one of God's saints this morning, one of the people that God has redeemed by his blood through Jesus Christ. Who are you? You're a person that has access to the wisdom of God. You're a person that has access to God's mercy and God's grace and God's help. You are a person who is blessed and favored by God. That's who you are. You're a person now that has a secure future. You're a person who is loved by God and gifted by God. And you're a person with a purpose. That's who you are. Don't let anyone else tell you anything different. That's who God says you are. Amen? Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we thank you today for your word. We're so grateful that you've spoken to us. We ask you to take this message and let it be more than just head knowledge. We pray that you'd help it to work down into our souls, our spirits. Let it become a part of who we are. Let us really begin to define ourselves based upon who you say that we are. And I pray that this would become very real to each person in this place today. We ask it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me. And I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out. And from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God. And I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus. I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. 
I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.